got it back. Did you hit it? There we go. Good morning. Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. And that was basically the theme song of my existence as a uh, teenager, early teens. Thursday nights, 8 o'clock, CBS. And VCR, and I know it, Jack, you don't know what a VCR truly is, do you? Oh, no, I watched a lot of tapes. When I was yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, then you okay. get it because... DVDs were more the thing, but my youngest daughter are still on there. My youngest daughter has no concept. I had to pull one out and show it to her. She's about my age, Yeah, too, she is. Right? No concept whatsoever. I had to pull it I out. I guess I'm a little more old school then. Yeah, maybe. But then again, you work with technical equipment. I didn't just when I was a kid, though. But still, though, <laughs> gives you a thing. But again, those were my... Thursday nights, 8 o'clock, CBS. If I wasn't watching it live because I was working at a pizza place as a kid, it was taped. Uh-huh. And I would, it was, had a major impact in my life. Yeah, it's a go to show. It is, yeah, it was very much so. My dad still watches it from time to time on like Me TV. Yeah, yeah, they got it. They got it. But I thought I was a fan. I got someone who beat me. As my guest today, I have the Magnum P.I. superfan, and you'll understand why in a moment. His name is Peter Fleming, and he is the caretaker, as he likes to put it, the major domo of the best Magnum P.I. website there is, Magnum Mania. If you want to know something, it is on that website. The details are tremendous. I've learned a lot just reading that over the years. And... Peter was um, guest star or guest uh, host for Cozy TV a few times when they've done Magnum P.I., you know, marathons and so forth. So really, it's an honor for me to have him on. Peter, welcome to my show. Thank you for having me, John. This is uh, this is a heck of an intro. I don't know if I can keep up with all <laughs> No, it's fine. And I want the audience to know something. We are anticipating this will be two parts. So the first part... We are calling Memories Are Forever, and it's a kind of a, well, I can't even say veiled reference to a two-part, well, it wasn't even original, two-part episode uh, of Magnum P.I. where he finds his long-lost wife, and there is that's where we're going with it. We're going to Memories Are Forever, part one. Peter, we've brought this up before in personal conversations, which I wish we could tape our personal conversations. What was it for you? Because you're my age, you're 50. Um, Why would we have gravitated towards this at 12, 13, 14 years old? What what made you see something here that you had to watch? I think it is something that changed over the years. Um, When I first caught it, I remember seeing the uh, TV Guide cover with him in the Aloha shirt and Higgins next to him. And I was like, well, that Higgins guy looks a little weird. And my my dad was the one who read the review and he's like, you know, this looks like it could be an interesting show. And I can't say that I saw the pilot episode. But the first season, I did get into it, and I think it was just to start with the attitude and the character and the way he carried himself. And I think as a kid to start with, you were connected to the guy who was not necessarily um, the guy who showed up for work every day or was all that responsible, but still had a character and had a code and... You know, he was he was attractive that way. I think as a kid who's in his early teens, late yeah, early teens is the mm-hmm. best way to put it. Yep. And 
then as it grew, you got to know the character deeper, and you got to see the different levels that they had to the show, and then you were drawn in. But I think in the beginning, it was just about who he was and the little bit of swagger that he had without being um, over the top. Now, for me, I came a little bit later. I would say probably the summer of 82. I was 14. I remember staying up late one night because CBS would run uh, reruns mm-hmm. of Magnum uh, later on in, you know, when the summer hit and then everyone else was on hiatus. And the first episode I happened to catch uh, was, oh, I can't think of the name of it now, Never Again, I believe, which was about uh, Nazis and so forth. That's an excellent episode. It, yeah. well, it is. And it's got a great twist, too. Uh, a twist as I've gotten older to understand is was not uncommon uh, for that to happen, for people to switch identities and so forth after the war. So that grabbed me. I continued with it. And then the real hook came in, which was the real episode of Memories Are Forever. And I, I was hooked at that point. Now, for me, growing up on the Jersey Shore, Long Beach Island, a beach kid, I, uh, surf, bodyboard, just got into weightlifting. The appeal to me was Hawaii because of the weather. I got I wanted to live there. And, of course, the Ferrari, which became an icon on its own. So for me, that's where it took off. And then the characters became a part of my life, people I enjoyed. And I always think of it as when I watched an episode we were coming into their lives. They're living their lives. We kind of check in for that hour, go through what they're going through. And then another week goes by before, you know, we're invited back in to contact them. Um, real quick, we have to say rest in peace to Robin's Nest. Yes. I, <laughs> you know, my wife asked me this morning. She goes, really? They really did that? I said, yeah. Yeah, they, let, they really let this one go. And you explained to me in a, in a conversation last night, it was it had to do with the house itself becoming, uh, we'll say not unlivable, you know, that it wasn't unlivable, but it was going to cost more to fix it up than what it was probably worth. Well, that's that's the assumption that we're coming to. Um, a lot of the uh, magnum maniacs, as we call ourselves, are uh, amateur sleuths, yeah. and there are a lot of people who do some amazing research in what is public domain. And it seems that, from what we're able to gather, that it was just a bit too much for um, Eve Anderson, who was the original owner of the estate, mm-hmm. who was passed down to her. The, the upkeep got too much, and we had seen over the course of years that she was the owner of it, that it seemed to be falling into disrepair. And our assumption is once it was bought, because the people who bought the estate, uh, Marty Nesbitt, um, they, our understanding, were not allowed to tour the inside of the house. They could roam the grounds and all that, but the main house itself, no one was allowed in. So... Our thinking is being next to the ocean the way it was in the years that it's been there and the termite problem that is in Hawaii, that the idea of fixing it up and the costs involved in that would have been prohibitive versus just bulldoze it and start over. And hopefully they do it in the same vein since they didn't take down the the guest house, which was actually the boathouse in yeah, real life. The boat um, they didn't take that down. So hopefully they keep the same feel, whoever uh, rebuilds on the property. Now, what bothers me about this, um, and maybe some people did come up with the idea, to me, that would have been a great 
bed and breakfast right there on the water. I mean, I mean, have you been there, Peter? Have you seen it? <laughs> well, you sound like every other Magnum fan because I don't know how many times I told my wife, if I win the lottery, every once in a while I throw five bucks at a mega, and I would say, if I win, can I buy the estate? She's like, you can do whatever you want if you win, and that was the idea. If you could turn that into a bed and breakfast, a guest suite, you could do tours, you know, different yes. things. There'd be enough people I think could be interested in a Magnum PI tour that you could do it, even if it's only on Saturdays or twice a week, something like that. And um, luckily, yes, to answer your question, I was out to the estate um, to kick off my 50th year, my wife took me to Hawaii, and she said, we are going to have a Magnum adventure, <laughs> and swam in the tidal pool. Mm. Um, I'm not embarrassed to say that we went back to the estate three times, <laughs> and I just sat on that on that tidal wall, and I looked at that beach, and I looked at Rabbit Island, and I felt like Thomas with Max back when he's sitting on the wall just looking out. I didn't have a bunch of beers next to me, but it was just that feeling to be able to sit there and look out over the water. And, uh, yeah, it, it was an amazing feeling. We couldn't see much of the estate because everything was overgrown. Um, but just being there and being able to walk up, and, yes, I did do the intro to the first movie <laughs> where he runs around the corner yeah. and he slaps up and he worked the lock, worked the lock, don't look at the dogs. I wasn't able to get into a Ferrari to do that, but I did do that by the padlock by the gate to the entrance to the estate. <laughs> okay, we're right there together. So I can uh, I can give my version here, but first again, what a tremendous place and, and you know, as you saw it, it had the mountains uh, as you would come into the estate, and then you had the water. I mean, really, it was a a road that separated it and the gatehouse. And I think they promoted it as what a hundred acres they would say on the show. You know what? I just watched uh, recently um, an episode where he talks about it, and it was from the mountains to the sea is yeah. the way Higgins explained it. And I think it was a little over 100 acres, and only five acres of the main compound, he had said, was uh, protected against anything. Yeah, it was very interesting because I found out later that they that was a public beach that was up a little bit from where the house was and the set and so forth. So it gave the... You know, the illusion, it was a lot bigger. Now, my wife and I, we got married in Maui in uh, 1997, February of 97. Good for you. Oh, yeah. Well, it was beautiful. We ended up naming our daughter McKenna after McKenna Point was where we had the ceremony. And um, before this, I I wanted to rent the Ferrari 308 uh, to drive to our wedding. When I get there... The guy looks at me and he goes, uh, man, you're not going to fit. I'm 6'4". You know, I weight lift. I'm like 250. I said, what do you mean I'm not going to fit? I said, Selleck's my height. He goes, no, no, you don't understand. They modified that car for him. They had the seat bolted as far back. They took the padding out to have him sit lower because his head came over the windscreen. Yeah. And I said, oh, you're kidding me. He said, no. And I sat in the one. And he was right. It didn't fit. I ended up driving a Lotus Esprit, which you think would have been the smaller car. But right. It, yeah, but it wasn't. Well, so, it wasn't like you yeah. got knocked down to a Camry. No, I mean, no, At no. least you got a Lotus out of the deal. I, at least got the Lotus out of it, which was pretty <laughs> cool. We come pulling up. We had it filmed. So after spending a week in Maui, we end up over in Honolulu, which is a tremendous difference 
as far as culture goes. And it's basically New York City or a good part of New York City. Someone drops in paradise right. right on the ocean. So back then there was no Internet there. You know, we had asked directions and the people knew it as the Anderson Estate. They're like, oh, you want the Anderson Estate? And I go, well, what the hell's the Anderson Estate? Mm. So we come driving up. And at that point, we had a Jeep and uh, went to the gate. Then I'd known enough to go around park where the public beach was. And then we worked our way down, got right to the water, got right to the tidal pool, did everything you did, swam in it. Then I took it a step further. I took that fence, man. I hopped that fence. Yes, I did. My (laughs) wife, I looked at my wife and I said, if you don't want to be a part of this, I understand. You might want to start heading away back where the car was. Did you hear any dogs? Oh, I was like, no. But, you know, I have to admit, it threw me at first when we got there that the guest house was was a boathouse. Right. And, it, you know, kind of doubled for what they needed. Now, I didn't roam a lot. Just getting on the grounds was exciting enough and moving around. I actually felt like that little guy they had, the CIA agent, that no one believed he was a CIA agent. When he jumped over the <laughs> Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. What was his name? His name was Waldo something in the character. So I moved. You know, I did my little thing. I, I was tempted to go deeper. Uh, to get to the main house, but I didn't want to push it. I, I didn't think being arrested on my you know my honeymoon would play out well. So proceeded to come back over. Uh, it was kind of like hopping. I don't know. It was kind of like hopping over into heaven for a little while for me. And you know it was interesting because the title pool. I was shocked by a couple things. One, there was a lot of coral. And other sharp objects. I assumed there wasn't anything like that because Selleck would stand up in it and periodically move around walking. Right. Um, it seemed a little shallow to be swimming like he did. But then again, maybe I had a lower tide at that point. That's what I noticed, too. I thought it was very shallow considering how tall Selleck is yeah. and all the swimming he did there. And I wasn't sure if maybe they trucked in uh, sand for the beach as well, because when we were there, it felt like the water was coming right up to the tidal wall, and there really wasn't much of a beach at all. And we went when it was supposed to be low tide. Yeah, it, it, it threw a bit, you know, but then again, like you said, you got, you know, cameras. I mean, let's face it, mm. Hollywood can make anything appear the way they want it. Um, I took some of the rocks and coral from the tidal pool. I took that home with me, which leads to a question. I don't know if you have the answer to this. I'm wondering if the people who own the home right now and have and they're having it torn down, if they thought about taking some of what they're tearing down and putting it on eBay as a collectible. Um, it went straight into a dumpster. Wow. There was... Yes. Geez, yeah, well, we had oh, pictures. Um, there was someone who found video of a drone that flew over right after the estate was torn down. And they just had dump trucks in there and dumpsters, and no one gave anything away. And there's at least 12, 13 people (laughs) who would want a piece of that estate, and they would want to show it proudly and say, you know, hey, look, this is us. We're we're magnamaniacs. Um, It did come up. I know I brought back some coral when we were there. (laughs) I didn't want to take any rocks because I didn't want, um, I think it's Pele, right? I didn't want her mad at me. So 
But we did take Coral, and I have them set up in a little thing. Uh, I have the videos of Magnum, and I have a couple of pictures, a couple of the toys, like yeah. the the, uh, the helicopter yeah. and the truck. And I have some Coral right in front of it just to, you know, commemorate our little trip. Yeah, that's we Peter, hold for a second. We've got to sure. take a break. And I promise you, we, you know, we have to do a couple of these, but I'm going to cut them short. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Special program today. I've got Peter Fleming, Super Magnum PI fan. We'll be right back. Lexus of Chester Springs Sizzle Summer Sales event is in full swing with aggressive deals on their beautifully designed 2018 NX300H SUV for only $379 per month or the 2018 RX350 SUV for only $439 per month or the 2018 GX460 SUV for only $459 per month. $39.99 do its signing for all three vehicles plus a $36 month lease, 10,000 miles per year, tax and tags additional. All three vehicles available with approved credit through Lexus Financial Services. Lexus of Chester Springs is located at 400 Pottstown Pike, just off exit 312 of the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Or go online at LexusofChesterSprings.com or call 610-321-8000. That's 610-321-8000. Experience amazing at Lexus of Chester Springs. Blue the dog here for Pro Propane. Making the rounds with my owner, the Propane Man, has allowed me to see a lot. I may just be a simple dog. I didn't attend the elite boarding kennels. But I do know that propane fuels the independence of millions of Americans with clean, reliable energy and powers modern appliances from tankless water heaters to high-efficiency furnaces. Brought to you by the Pennsylvania Propane Gas Association and your local propane service providers. Uh, It's allergy season, and hiding in our homes is not only no fun, but it's not even effective. Don't have your family spend another season wheezing, coughing, and sneezing with watery eyes. You don't have to suffer. Fortunately, I know just how to protect yourself and your family from allergies, colds, viruses, flus, asthma, and more. Call my friends at Chester County Fuel Oil. They are the exclusive area provider of Premier One Indoor air purification systems. This ultraviolet light system, which is easily installed by the pros at Chester County Fuel Oil, has a 99.9% success rate in cleaning the air in your home. And it's surprisingly affordable. This reliable system comes with a lifetime warranty on electronics and a seven-year warranty on the HEPA air cleaner. So make your home your castle and a virtual fortress against indoor pollutants with the Premier One air purification system by calling Rick Sr. and the fine folks at Chester County Fuel Oil at 610-344-7234. That's 610-344-7234. So you and your family can breathe free. It's never been more important to stay in touch with the events and issues that shape our world. And for more than 25 years, Radio Pennsylvania has been the Commonwealth source for stories and newsmakers impacting your life. From your state capital to all corners of the Commonwealth, Radio PA's team of award-winning journalists serves as your eyes and ears on the front lines of the major events of our time. Heard all over Pennsylvania on great radio stations like this one, the Radio Pennsylvania Network, bringing you closer to Harrisburg and all of your Keystone State. At WSFS Bank, we stand for what's possible. 
like small businesses with big plans and big families that need a little more space. Whatever you need, you'll find us right around the corner and always in yours. Stop by any location today or visit us online at WSFSBank.com. We're WSFS Bank, and we stand for what matters. We stand for service. Equal Housing Lender, member FDIC. Providing excellent eye care in Chester County for the past 35 years, Clompus, Rito, and Halshide Vision Associates is the place to go for all your eye care needs. They offer the latest technology, along with the best optical department, in order to keep you looking and seeing your best. Their glasses are finished on site, offering a quick turnaround and excellent quality. Check out their designer frame lines, including Ray-Ban, Maui Jim, Tom Ford, and many others. With two convenient locations, Locations to serve you, one in Westchester and one in Exton, Clompus Retail and Houseshide Vision handles patients of all ages, from infants to seniors. Give Clompus Retail and Houseshide a call in Westchester at 610-696-1368 or in Exton at 610-363-8960 or request an appointment online at crhvision.com. Clompus Retail and Houseshide Vision. Excellence in eye care since 1981. Can your business benefit by talking to hundreds of thousands of potential customers with a single message? Radio PA is Pennsylvania's only statewide news network. Heard in all 67 counties, Radio PA penetrates urban, suburban, and hard-to-reach rural communities. If you'd like to explore a cost-efficient way to reach the entire state, call Radio PA at 717-910-2605. That's 717-910-2605. Nobody covers PA like Radio PA. Sometimes one name says it all. Cher. Madonna. And even Elvis. You ain't nothing but a When it comes to all your auto tag, notary, and insurance needs, the name is Kyle. Kyle's Auto Tags in Westchester. Kyle has 25 years experience in handling all your auto tag transfer needs. Fast, professional service. Kyle is shredding the competition with his prices, and his work is never unfinished. With Kyle's connections with the Pennsylvania Department of Motor Vehicles and his expert knowledge of the industry, Kyle can handle all your auto title tag needs. Kyle's business is auto tags and insurance done right. You won't find any rocking chairs or Christmas trees there. Driver's license suspended? Kyle can even assist you in getting a work license. Need something notarized? Kyle can do that for you, too. Kyle's Auto Tags and Insurance is located on East Gay Street in the Gay Street Plaza in Westchester and has lots of free parking. Just drive around to the back of the plaza. Give Kyle a call at 610-429-1447. Kyle's Auto Tags and Insurance, because you're entitled to great service. It's never been more important to stay in touch with the events and issues that shape our world. And for more than 25 years, Radio Pennsylvania has been the Commonwealth's source for stories and newsmakers impacting your life. We're taking precautions to prepare for the worst that this storm can deliver. And I believe that we need an armed, highly trained security officer in every school. We should not be using mental illness as a scapegoat for things like mass shootings and violence. Covering your state capital in all corners of the Commonwealth, Radio PA's team of award-winning journalists is on constant watch 
is your eyes and ears on the front lines of the major events of our time. Honored for broadcasting and journalistic excellence by the Associated Press, the Pennsylvania Association of Broadcasters, the National Association of State Radio Networks, the National Headliner Awards, and many others. Eight-time winner of the Joe Snyder Award for Outstanding News Service, the top news honor bestowed by the Associated Press in Pennsylvania. The Radio Pennsylvania Network, bringing you closer to Harrisburg and all of your Keystone State. What is everyone talking about in Chester County? Find out on the News at Noon here on 1520 WCHE. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Special guest, Peter Fleming today, Super Magnum PI fan, and anyone who knows me is I lived for the series and I still watch it in reruns. Peter, we ran all the spots. So you and I can flow for the next 35 minutes and not have to worry about a break. Are you cool with that? Absolutely. Excellent. So we're going to jump right back into it here. We need to give uh, another rest in peace. Um, John Hillerman, who played Higgins for was it eight seasons. Yeah. And probably one of the best. I, I, I don't just like you. I don't want to say second banana. I don't want to say. I don't want to say anything that takes him down a notch because he was right there with Selleck. Without Hillerman, them playing off each other, I don't really think the show would have lasted more than a couple seasons. What do you think? I, I agree with you. I, we were discussing that. And it's one of those things I have a hard time putting in the right frame as well because as much as this was Selleck's show, and there is no Magnum P.I. without Tom Selleck, and that goes for today as well. We'll but discuss that, that later. Yeah. Um, yeah. The chemistry he had with Hillerman, um, I don't like making Hillerman, the, the, like you said, the second banana, the number two, because their chemistry was so important, and the way they interacted, it worked so well that... Even in an episode that you may say is a little bit clunky or isn't the best of the best, there's usually a Higgins moment or a Higgins-Thomas moment that makes the whole thing worthwhile seeing because their relationship and the way they interacted. And I think it's like a 1A and a 1B when it comes to that. You know, I think about when I was younger, I didn't really think much about Higgins. He was important, but you know, I was more concentrating on Selleck and, and the action and the Ferrari. But as I've gotten older and I've come to understand how the show came about, and we're going to touch on this here, Selleck, when he's first approached to play Magnum, um, he kind of bristles at it. He, he kind of says, uh, I don't like the character. Um, mm-hmm. We need to make some changes. Pretty gutsy from a man who has had five failed pilots at that point, And his claim to fame is... Uh, some westerns and so forth. Marlboro commercials, yeah, right? Yeah, Marlboro and things like that, which obviously don't run today. Right. And, and his, you know, the original character was designed to be more of a 007, more yeah. someone who was going to always win the fight, who was always going to get the woman, always have the upper hand. And I got to give Selleck a lot of credit. For him to be able to sit down and tell Bellisiero and a few other people, no, no, this isn't going to work. We need to do it this way. And they I, did. I agree with you yeah. on that. When you think about it, 
and even he has said it. Uh, like you said, he had five or six p- failed pilots before that, and he read the script, and originally it was called Cutter, and yeah. I think it took place in Los Angeles to start with. Exactly. Um, and they transported it to Hawaii when Hawaii Five-0 was, was coming to an end. But he read it, and I don't know if he felt it was too much like the Lance White character that he played from in Rockford Files, the guy who always got the girl, who always did everything right and by the book, and everything always went his his way. But I remember him saying that he said, no, I'm going to play it my way. I'm reading this and this guy is just too good. There's nothing that's going to make anybody be drawn to him. He needs to have flaws. He needs to have something that he doesn't always get the girl. He doesn't win every fight. And there's got to be something about him that's going to make people want to see him win. You're 100% right, because I remember episodes where he would get the hell beat out of him. And the interesting part was he was portraying a Navy SEAL at yeah. as part of his character. And no one really knew who they were at that point. It was a very hush-hush thing. And, uh, you know, for him to play that role, the connection, we're going to slide that right now. The military connection was a big, important part to that show. It connects him to his friends, to TC and Rick. It's a special bond right there because of what they've been through. It gives a connection back to Higgins because he fought in every major battle there was from from (laughs) 19. Absolutely, Exactly. So you got the perspective from him, and it it actually tightened their relationship because that was a common ground. And at the time, and I didn't know this because I was a young person, but uh, Vietnam vets were not being portrayed in any sort of positive light. And this was, I believe, the first show uh, or movie that gave them a presence of like, hey, you know, we've been through something and this is who we are. And we're here. We're going to keep moving forward. And what did you think? You thought that was the same bonding thing. Oh, very much so. I know, and it it's something that, for me, that grew over the years. Um, when I was younger, I came from a family that had a, a lot of members in the military. I had uncles, and my father was named after uh, his uncle, who died in the invasion of Normandy. And there was very much that still leftover World War II military pride, even though there was the anti-Vietnam thing that was going on around everybody else. There was still that that positivity about the military. So watching the show and seeing these guys, and I think the way they handled it wasn't heavy-handed either. It wasn't hitting you over the head. They made it that this was part of their story. They weren't trying to, I think, send an overt message, but they did want to tell the story of these guys as Vietnam veterans and show them in a positive light without I think every episode just pushing it down your throat. And I think that's what works so well. Their common bond of what they went through was just there. And I have to give the writers a lot of credit for how natural they made everything feel. And, and the actors, too, because they it was just part of it. I remember an episode, I think it might have been season one, it was called Wave Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Uh, Selleck was a friend of a local female champion surfer. I mean, they were friends because they got to know each other on the beach, you know, when he ran and she surfed and so forth. And she ended up uh, being found dead. And there was a drifter kind of person who kind of lived in the the brush of the jungle there, a homeless person, that was picked up and charged for her murder. 
And when Selleck goes to confront him before all that, in that, that, that jungle area, it turns out this gentleman is a Vietnam vet, and he has been through his, his own personal tragedies in hell. And there's a scene there where Selleck says, after the gentleman says, I've been to the hospitals, I've been to what you promise. And Selleck says, I did that too. I've been there. That and was very powerful. It was. Scene. Yeah, it that was. was really, and that, that guy who was in the jungle, that homeless guy, that was Wings Hauser. Okay, give me who that um, – go ahead. I'm, I'm not sure who that was, but well, go ahead. Wings Hauser was a guy who I think was a B-movie – well, he became like a B-movie kind of hero in the – Early 80s, late 70s, he would be like two steps below Charles Bronson. Okay, so he played he like did, an action He did a couple of shows, yeah. and I, I think that was one of the first times I had seen Wings Hauser before I saw him on, on some other shows. Yeah, but, that, it's but, very powerful. Oh, it was, and the way the way Selleck handled that I thought was, was very telling, too. Just the, the interaction between the two of them and the weight of what he said, that he had been there, and then they just left it. And... It just added one more piece into the story and uh, like another brick in the wall for for who Thomas Magnum is and was. Now, in the first in the pilot episode, which, again, I didn't see at first myself, but Rick, who was the um, helicopter gunner as part of their unit, uh, he manages a club, Rick's Place. I I don't think he owned it. I think he just well, maybe did own it. Rick Cafe. Cafe, There you go. Now. He played with a Bogart accent. I mean, basically, he was playing Bogart to some extent. And I'm trying to remember, that was originally written in for the character, but I think it went too far. The studio wasn't happy with that. Am I correct? Yeah, I... I it went a little too far afield. They did keep that whole Casablanca feel throughout the series. Yes. Um, but I think it was a little too heavy-handed because even the DJ was called Sam. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, that is correct, yeah. And when, uh, when Thomas needed to get something from him, he bribed him by saying, don't make me tell everybody your real name, Rick. And his real name is Orville Wright. Correct. And, and uh, he just... Gave Thomas what he needed to do, and he's like, all right, play it, Sam. And he's like, really? <laughs> so, again, we, we've got that bond there between mm-hmm. between Magnum and Rick. But now, and you and I have discussed this, and I agree with you. I think the, the closest of the group to the characters being the closest is TC and Magnum. Yeah. Um, we see it in an episode where TC kind of goes rogue and flies illegally to pick up uh, a person and bring them back to the islands. Turns out there was a person who saved his life in Vietnam, pulled him from a, uh, a chopper. And we see when Magnum and Rick's there too confronts TC on this because TC's ready to bolt. And uh, there's a comment made are we going to have to reenact our first meeting in Saigon? Right. And then the fists begin to fly. And there is no clear winner in this. There's just two exhausted men when it's over. But another moment, I thought, that set the series in the right motion. Your thoughts? I agree. I have always felt that the uh, the relationship between Thomas and TC was really important. And in all the big moments, yeah. it was TC is the guy who showed up. Even in the uh, first episode of season eight, Infinity and Jelly Donuts, <laughs> when Thomas goes back to the warehouse to try to figure out what happens, and he's finally beating up, I think it was Quang, he yes, was his name, is. but I'm not yes, sure if that's correct. Um, uh, 
TC is the one who shows up in the doorway and stops him. And he's like, you don't want to do this. And their relationship, I thought, was another thing that wasn't heavy-handed but told a good story. Here you have an African-American guy, you have a white guy, they were best friends. Didn't make a difference. It never came up. They were just buddies. Their experiences, their life experiences, just made them best friends. And I think that told such a good story because it was just two men. And I recall some of the reading I've done. Roger Mosley didn't want the role. He kind of he turned didn't it like down. He didn't like in Hawaii. He felt like he was out of his element. Yeah. And then Selleck's wanted to convince him. Evidently, in the beginning, there were some issues between the directors, the writers, and Mosley. And, and Selleck, being the kind of person he is, went in and sued that over. He wanted Mosley to be a part of this show. He and he must have seen the same chemistry. Mm-hmm. And, and and he was never a person, and still isn't. Uh, from everything I can tell, he didn't want the spotlight all the time. He had no. I mean, of course, he's forced, uh, you know, he has to be the spotlight to a good extent because he's the lead. But he wanted to give the other characters, the other actors, every chance to shine. I think he understood, probably from all of his experience before, that if you are the driving force, you still need everything else behind you to make it work. If you're the star quarterback of the football team, if nobody's catching the ball, you're not going to win anything. So you need to be surrounded by, by talent and people who continue to tell a good story. And I, he was very smart not to have that vanity. And I think even he has said that if this opportunity came to him earlier in his career, would he have handled it as well as he did? The fact that I think when Selleck got the role, he was 38. Uh, 35, um, I think, right around there. Like 35. 35, okay. Yeah, yeah. right around so, there. So, yeah, if it would have happened to him 10 years earlier, would he have had the same level of maturity and understanding? He said that. So I, I think that shows that he understood what he felt was the right way to tell a good story, and he was going to go down that way. Now, it was interesting because how Selleck actually... You know, he gets the role, but there's some complications with it. Now, probably some people have heard this story before, but it is worth telling again. Uh, Selleck gets offered the role to play Magnum. He signs his contract. Uh, at the same time, now he's been offered to play the lead in uh, Indiana Jones, which would have been a killer lead for him. I mean, that's a huge break to come his way. Unfortunately, now I know Spielberg and them, they thought they could talk CBS out of holding Selleck, have the show delayed, brought in, I believe, January of that year, which would have rolled into 81. And they were saying, look, this show, our movie's going to be a hit. We know it. This will give you a great lead-in for your Magnum P.I. CBS would not go with it. And then it turned out the Screen Actors Guild writer's strike hit. And reality of it is, Selleck could have done both. Yeah, he talks about that, too. I've seen a couple of interviews where he said he had one of those moments, and uh, he sat down, and he spoke to a few people, and he said, well, what do I do? Because he was considering it. It has to cross your mind if you're in his position, breaking his contract and and taking the Indiana Jones movie. Um, And they told him, you know what you have to do. You're only as good as your word. And he's like, yeah, I know. I know, and he, I think he just needed someone to tell him out loud, but he's always been a character guy, so I don't think that he would have. It's just that when you hear him talk about it, he needed it to be reaffirmed to him a little bit, and um, he had said that he was there 
staying in uh, someone's apartment, and he was paying rent by doing landscaping work. Now, the interesting part, it gets even more interesting than that. Harrison Ford gets the role. Of course, it changes his entire career and the path of his life. Right. But both Selleck and Ford, up until that point, their careers are more or less less than what they would have envisioned. I believe Harrison Ford was in his mid-30s when he hits Harrison, when he hits uh, Indiana Jones. I think his big claim to fame was American Graffiti at that point, character actor. Um, What I liked about both of them, they had earned the right to get to where they were. They had both done side stuff, carpentry, you name it. Uh, So they understood it from the ground floor. And I'll ask you this though, Peter. Too, do you think Selleck would have take would have done the role better, differently, uh, playing Indiana Jones? Harrison Ford is so iconic in that role that it would be very different. Um, I can't imagine as as much as I like Tom Selleck, the actor. I have a hard time picturing him as Indiana Jones because I feel that. Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. Just like I have a hard time picturing anybody else being Thomas Selleck. I'm Tom Selleck, Thomas Magnum. Because he's so identified with the role that um, I don't want to say anything bad about Selleck, but I don't know. I, I can't picture it in my head. And, and, and it is difficult because, I mean, let's, you know, it's human nature. We, we understand. We see what Harrison Ford does. I think there's a lot of similarities in what Harrison Ford does. Both didn't come out on top all the time. Both mm-hmm. got beaten up. Both were able to laugh at themselves to some degree. Uh, they had that way about them. I, I, you know, I have to go with you on that. Now, I want to branch a little bit. We have the main characters we discussed. We have, you know, we have Selleck, we have Hillerman, we have Mosley, we have, you know, Minetti. But there are a few other fringe characters that make appearances. Uh, ones that stay with you, which is kind of, I think, different on a series where those kind of fringe characters pop in and out, but you remember them. Let's go with Lieutenant McReynolds. Now, he doesn't serve, ever serve in Vietnam. He doesn't have that connection to Magnum and the guys, but he is a naval intelligence officer. He has taken over Magnum's job when he resigned from the military. And Selleck turns to him a lot when he needs information, but he's also a friend. I mean, he bribes him. He does. Guy's a little overweight. He brings donuts and so forth. But I think McReynolds... His part, his role, I think was very important, what Jeff McKay did. What do you think? Yes. Jeff McKay, he, Jeff McKay was a favorite of uh, Belisario, if I remember correctly, Correct. as well. And he yep. left to do – the only reason he left the series was because he got a regular spot in Tales of the Gold Monkey. Um, and that, that's why – that only lasted a season, and that's why they brought him back. Um, but Jeff McKay, yeah, I always liked when he showed up because you knew something funny was going to happen. And there'd be some quid pro quo going on, and Thomas would be doing something to try to take advantage of him in some way, in a nice way. But still, you know, trying to get what he needs done. Now, I get and he had a very pivotal role in what we'll say 99 percent of Magnum P.I. fans consider the best episode ever. Did you see the sunrise? His his role basically sets up the whole second half of that show and where it ends up going. So, you know, McKay was there. Very important. One of my favorite Gillian Dobb. Agatha. Yes. 
constantly chasing Hillerman, you know, Higgins, going after him, suffering woman as she is. Um, I loved Agatha. How about you? Well, Agatha to me is, again, like Mac and so many other characters, Doc Eibold, Tanaka. (laughs) Those reoccurring characters, I think, just help make the show more real because you see these familiar faces pop in and out. It isn't a new guest star all the time, even though it's great when Frank Sinatra shows up that one time. Mm -hmm. You, You have these guys who are still part of the story. I thought the relationship between Agatha and Higgins was hysterical. And the way he was so blind to it until that one moment when it becomes clear and how much he destroyed her and her feelings for him and how horrible he felt about that because he was totally missed it. Um, the depth that she brought to the character, and she was just a stage actress in Hawaii. And I don't want to say just, but... She was not affiliated with Hollywood or anything like that. She liked to act, and she I think she had done some stuff on the East Coast and then wound up living in Hawaii, and they pulled her in, and I think she's uh, another one of those hidden heroes of the series. The Three Sides of Higgins. Higgins, Jonathan Quayle Higgins, uh, his brother, Father Patty, half-brother, <laughs> and his other half-brother, Elmo. <laughs> now... The thing I loved about Hillerman and Selleck and how they played off each other as uh, Magnum and Higgins, neither one got the upper hand on each other. One might get a couple zingers in or a couple moments in, and then the other one has you know their moments. It's pretty even. But the father, Patty, <laughs> and I love, I love how it's told. I love how it's told. Higgins' father was... I don't know, on some mission, uh, very cold weather, ended up, he was half dead. This woman took him in and ordered, in order to save his life and warm him up, natural occurrences took place. Of course, he explained it to Higgins' mother when she came back, and she understood. And then there's Father Patty right there, who had some strange quirks. He liked to pick up cigarette butts and smoke them. He looked disheveled. And one of the things that was kind of poignant, especially at that time, was the battle between the uh, Irish Republican Army against uh, the British, uh, that whole thing going on there. And, of course, Father Paddy had the side of the uh, Irish Republican Army. I, I just thought that that was one of the funnier things to do. That I wonder who thought that up, to take Jonathan Higgins straight-laced and have two half-brothers that couldn't be more different from him. They did. Um, they had way too much fun with that. <laughs> and, they had, they, and, just, and, and my understanding is right. There were more siblings out there that they hinted at. Yes, there was. I think, I think there's a Su Ling. Yes, um, there is. <laughs> yeah. And, and you can see how the Stoic Higgins would just not even want to think about his father being this philanderer around the world as he was on his uh, his adventures and siring all these children and uh, just how embarrassed he must have been by their appearances and, and what it meant for a person who was of the peerage. <laughs> well, that was, again, you, you hit it right on the mark. I mean, this is so foreign to Higgins. It, it doesn't, you get the feeling um, of who he is is very neutral as far as sexuality goes. It's not that important to him, at least it appears so 
for him to find out that his father has sired all of these different children, you can see how it upsets him. Yeah. You can see it. Now, he's like, Father Patty slams his head down on his table. <laughs> and because, you know, Selleck's, you know, Magnum's like, I saw someone looks just like you. Not Father Patty. And, and just the way it plays out. And Elmo from Texas, which is where John Hillerman was from. And he mm-hmm. had that Texas accent. So he must have had fun filming that. Um, I think they did a lot of things to Higgins, uh, its character, that really, really made the show click, too. Well, yeah, and I think they took advantage of the talents of Mr. Hilleman in that way because they knew that he was able to branch out and do all those things and be comfortable in them. Um, yeah, it's it, it, they, they just had way too much fun. They really enjoyed that one. Then, and I don't want to, I still want to leave stuff for part two, so we're going to try to keep rolling with this, though. Okay. Um, Colonel Buck Green, very important to the series, doesn't have a lot of scenes, doesn't show up a lot. But when that character shows up, you know, you know, something's about to happen, something big. And I think um, I think that was one of the more important characters to the show. I agree as well. Um, he's a guy that over the years I have come to appreciate more. Um, early on, when I wasn't watching the show with the same kind of a vision, he was just an antagonist, and, and that was it. But later on, I watched it, and he's not a bad guy. He's no. just looking at the world from a perspective that Thomas doesn't have. Thomas is looking at the same thing he is. It's just that his mission is Michelle or whatever Thomas has going on at that time. Bucks is as a military man. And, well, what is his bigger picture? And I think he's sympathetic often to the struggles that Thomas has and the relationship with Michelle and what's going on with her and her kind of being a spy over in Vietnam still. Um, but he, he brought, I think, put a lot to the role and a lot to the show, to just being that guy who you can see possibly being a bad guy. But then, no, not so much. Maybe he really is a good guy. I see Buck Green as what Magnum was at one point. All military decisions based on military needs and wants, uh, missions that have to be done. At one point, they mentioned that the unit Magnum's part of, along with Rick and TC, is an assassination unit. Yeah. Not easy work. Um, I, bu- I believe that's what the character was at one point. We don't see that. I think he has, obviously... A changing of how he feels, and then he resigns. And I think Buck Buck's able to deny to himself what he might believe is, I can't say an unlawful order, but maybe not something that really works with who he is. But his catchphrase always is following orders. Those are the orders. And I think that works for them, for him. And I think both characters in the show, there is a grudging respect I think, I think that's what makes it work. Yeah, yeah I there is. I mean, it's got to kill Selleck or, or Magnum that this woman he loves, Michelle, is basically controlled by Buck Green. She follows orders. She does as a spy because she believes that her country 
uh, Vietnam connected to France at one point is important to save. And, and Selleck keeps getting pulled back. Magnum keeps getting pulled back into this world that he got away from. I mean, do you follow yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, it's almost like he threw off um, what he would be. And, and that, that's a good analogy to make, that he could have been a Buck Green type. And he, that's what he was throwing off when he just decided to be that quasi-beach bum who woke up one day and realized he was never 22. Yeah, and, and that's a, a, a great statement to how this series really evolves. I mean, here he is, um, wakes up one day, like he said, he, he, he's 32, he's never been 22, he missed those 10 years, and an opportunity has come to him where he can live in a guest house for free, drive a high-performance sports car, mm-hmm. and play a role of detective, take some of the skills he learned in the military, and it, it really is a dream job. I think that was one of the big hooks, too, for men, that this is a dream job. If I can escape my life, that's what I'm going to do. Oh, absolutely. Who, who wouldn't want to live a life like that? <laughs> and, and while we're talking about Michelle, um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, the actress Marta Dubois, yeah. who played her, yeah. she unfortunately passed away recently. Oh, wow. She's she another one that we have to add to our oh. list of, uh, yeah, it was May 8th, unfortunately. I'll have to back check on that one. That's a shame. Yeah. Um, to kind of wrap up our first episode of Memories Are Forever, uh, rest in peace, Marta, that's, that's, because I always thought Michelle was like, man, this man's going through hell for this woman, God, I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah, want her to I, send I me a postcard. I didn't totally you know? see it the whole way, but I understood, yeah. it, it's love. Oh, that's got to be love in the worst kind. Uh, Peter, let's, let's talk a little bit about the website, magnamania.com, and I highly suggest it if you're a Magnum fan, even a casual one. There is everything you want to know about the series, a lot of interaction between the fans, and it's there. Now, you have recently taken over maintaining this site from the founder, J.J. Walters, but J.J.'s come back in a little bit. Can you give us uh, just basically a quick overview of this? Well, it started years ago. Um, I found it. I, I don't even remember what year it was. Uh, J.J. was working on his talents, and he needed something to focus on, and he said, hey, I love Magnum P.I. Um, I don't see anything out there that really has all the information I want. Let me teach myself a little bit more and, and try to put this together. And over the course of years, um, he has created an amazing just encyclopedia of everything Magnum. And uh, a few years ago, a few things came up, and he needed uh, just to pass it along. And I am now the current major domo, if you will, just uh, caretaking his stuff until he's ready to go fully on board again. And uh, he's back in the loop, and he's involved in uh, the Magnum stuff. But what he has put together, the list, the details, um, and the comments from all the other maniacs... uh, if you go into Magnamania, <laughs> yeah. there's a spot called uh, the Forum, and a lot of people miss it. And that's where there's a lot of conversation. You can a, there are a few regular members who share a lot of stuff, but there are almost a thousand members of the community who just pop in from time to time. And the detail that you will find there, and what people get out of individual episodes that connect with them and what they like to discuss, um, it's a really interesting place to go to. I, I get in there a couple of times a day. Now, if I understand, um, the Magnum PI uh, reruns 
in about 70 countries it runs? Um, I believe that's at its height. That's where it was, yeah. So you have large exposure, obviously, people all over the world. I would assume... If you had to break it down somehow, I would assume Magnum P.I. is probably at least in the top 15 of all-time shows that cross over into other countries, other uh, cultures. I would say so. I would say like the former British Empire, the sun never sets on Magnum P.I. <laughs> <laughs> it's on TV somewhere around the world. I like that. I like that. And you're right about the forum. And we're going to talk about theories on who Higgins really was and you know, one of mine. Yours is different from mine, and that's okay. Yeah, no, we don't agree. On we this don't one. agree on this part, but that's cool. And 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 I think you're going to allow me uh, to submit in writing my thoughts at some point. And I <laughs> I, I do want to thank JJ Walters here in the last uh, few moments. Um, he allowed me to submit my interview with Larry Minetti uh, four or five six years back. He, he, I like how he titled it uh, "The Better Late and Never." <laughs> Which was fine with me because, again, I just felt like I had to connect to other people who are like myself because my friends and family laugh at me. And, and, you know, because they don't get it. It it was an influence, just like anyone else has an influence, be an athlete, be a teacher. It's just the way it is. And I'm thankful to God for that influence. I agree. I, I get the eye rolls, too, sometimes. But then again, maybe I have a little too many uh, Aloha shirts in my closet. But, I, I yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I don't have any. What? I don't have any. We'll talk about that later. I, I, okay. For some reason, I don't have any. We're going to wrap it up, Peter. And what I want, um, part two, when you have the time, hopefully sooner than later, and we can delve into some of the stuff we didn't cover, because... I want this to be out there, both parts of the interview. I want it to live on forever. Uh, I think it's important. Um, and I, uh, I just want the two of us to have some sort of uh, connection to where we go with this. So are you okay maybe in a couple weeks or on your time frame? Absolutely. I would love to do this again. Excellent. This is anytime I can talk to Magnum and have somebody not go, oh, you're not talking about Magnum again, are you? I mean, that's great. <laughs> Peter, I appreciate it. You enjoy the rest of the weekend, and we're going to take it out. Go ahead, Jack. Give us the theme. Go. (laughs) Thank you, John. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, Peter, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. All right. That sounds great. (laughs) Take care.